Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Paige. And this is Strange Indeed. This week we are covering Doctor Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining. And uh, came out last year, 2019 release. It did. Directed by Mike Flanagan of Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor fame. <laughs> yeah, we, we just couldn't get enough of Mike Flanagan yes. and his awesome filmmaking and his awesome vision uh, that he has when it comes to to directing and filmmaking and and you know taking what's in his mind and putting it on film. I'm a fan. Yeah. So, and I'm a fan of this movie. So, yeah, like you said, this was a, a 2019 film. Uh, this was written and directed by Mike Flanagan, and it is based on the 2013 novel of the same name by Stephen King, yeah. who we also happen to be huge fans of <laughs> around here. Indeed, if you've given us a listen, um, you know, we've covered some Stephen King uh, movies and shows. Um, Castle Rock was kind of big around here. Yeah. We did seasons one and two of that. Um, and also, I just we just talk about him a lot because uh-huh. <laughs> because we love him. And Stranger Things is um, definitely heavily influenced by Stephen King, so yeah, um, just kind of fitting. A lot um, of his yeah, he influences a lot of stuff that's been on this podcast. I mean, even you know you and Jason earlier this year covering Lock and Key, which is. His mm-hmm. son wrote. No hell, yeah. <laughs> we we just love the whole King family. Yeah. You know, we're just <laughs> we're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna say that we 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 pretty much love and appreciate everything that they do. So, yeah, yeah that's good. I'm glad you pointed that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good little um uh, tie into that as well. So yeah, like you said, this um, Stephen King's book was uh, a sequel to his 1977 novel, The Shining. Um, and then this film, which serves as a direct sequel to the 1980 film adaptation of The Shining that was directed by Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Um, it is set several decades after the events of the original and combines elements of the 1977 novel as well. Then, of course, we have Ewan McGregor, who plays the lead role as Danny Torrance, a man with psychic abilities who struggles with childhood trauma. Wow, you could say that. <laughs> That's taking it very lightly. <laughs> yeah, that... That, that kind of just, um, that's a very light summarization of, of what he went through and what he continues to go through. Um, but yeah, this one, this one was, was interesting. I was a big fan when Dr. Sleep came out. I was really excited. Of course, anything Stephen King, I'm, I'm on board and was very excited. I went, went to the movie. I think it was, uh, the, one of the last movies that my daughter and I saw together um, wasn't the last movie I saw in the movie theaters, but it was the last movie my daughter saw, and it was the last one her and I saw together. We go to the movies or used to um, quite often. Um, so this was this was one that that we watched together um, before movie theaters shut down and before the world went to shit. Right. So and <laughs> so that's not that's not a bad way to go out, right? Um, but so I really enjoyed it. Do you have general thoughts? Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you thought about Dr. Sleep or, or did you see it in the Man. theater? And what was your experience like? Yeah, I saw it. I, I've only seen it once before this. So this was my second time to watch it. And man, I mean, but I, when I first saw it, which I saw it premiere night, like the night it came out in theaters, like bought my ticket in advance, make sure like that I'm doing it. I was like, you know, I love the shining. And then, I was excited to see what they were going to do with this because uh, I haven't read the books. 
So, you know, I'm just coming from like a film standpoint, mm-hmm. but, but I was really excited about it. And yes, yeah, so I went and saw, you know, opening night just by myself. Cause I do that. I'm that, I, it doesn't bother me. I'll go to movies by myself all the time. I, I'm that person too. <laughs> You're not alone. I'm perfectly comfortable going to the movies by myself. So yeah, mm-hmm. I don't let that. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Good and, for you. And I had an absolute like blast with it. I mean, it's hard to mm-hmm. say like, you know, oh, it was so much fun because I mean, it is but at the <laughs> yes. same time, like this movie is very dark and there's some very dark, but, very. but I, I, I loved the film and it's because it is, it's very dark and heavy, but like, it's very powerful too. There's a lot of, yeah. of like meanings and like the arcs that the characters go through. You really see a lot of strength and redemption, love and acceptance of yourself. Like all of these things are all like within that. And I think it's really cool. Right. Oh, that's, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, the, the, the filmmaking. I thought it was beautiful to look at, uh, you know, and I was already a fan of Mike Flanagan anyway, because we'd, we'd already had Hill House, right? So I had seen Hill House, had been very impressed by Mike Flanagan and, you know, was becoming a, a big fan of his. So I was really excited, you know, to hear that he was doing this and, uh, I, I loved what he did with it. I thought it was very visually stunning. Uh, thought, you know, it was just a fun watch, but yet very hard to watch because again, this is Stephen King guys. And mm-hmm. I know many of our listeners are fans of Stephen King. We're not, we're not new to the, to the Stephen King world. There's hard things to watch and hard things to see. And man, Mike Flanagan took us there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in some some scenes, yeah. <laughs> he's not afraid to dive deep into trauma and mm-hmm. personal like hardships. And like he doesn't take it easy on kids either at all. <laughs> no, and neither does Stephen King. So many – I mean, Stephen King, he's a horror writer. He writes, mm-hmm. you know, horror fiction. And many of his books – uh, children are main characters or major characters in his books. And if you have a horror uh, novel and you have children, bad things happen to children. Yeah. And you just know this uh, if you're familiar with Stephen King. So you had to kind of know hmm, that something like this might be possible. But I, I have to admit, this might have been one of the hardest things, one of the hardest a couple of scenes in this movie yeah. uh, that I've had to watch in, <laughs> in gosh – I, I'm trying to even compare it to some other thing. I'm sure there's something else that I've, I've seen that was also fairly hard to watch, but man, something about the way Mike Flanagan's able to do it. some things I'm okay with, you know, no, I won't say okay, but some things I can watch and I'm like, okay, that was, that was hard. But this Mike Flanagan just does something uh, emotionally. I don't know. He just really yeah. has a way to to really grab you. And, and, you know, he, he definitely did for me in, in this movie. So, um, since yeah. we're, we're, we're talking about it, uh, we are just going to have a discussion about this. I know Pig's got something fun that he's going to do with his uh, discussion points. Um, but we're, we're just going to have a discussion instead of something formal, but that's yeah. kind of, kind of how we like to have the top five designed anyway. It's just, it's supposed to just be bringing up fun topics and things that you want to talk about either for the show or for the movie, um, and just keep it as a fun discussion. And that's still how it's kind of modeled after, but that's what we're going to do and just kind of talk in general about it. But, um, so it was, I, I loved the beginning. Um, I'll just start off at one of, one of my points. And that was yeah. um, the little girl, Violet, in the mm-hmm. beginning. Did anyone recognize this sweet little girl? 
<laughs> because um, I did. And that was, um, oh gosh, I'm going to totally forget her name here. She was young um, Nell from yeah. Hill House. Mm-hmm. Violet. I don't have her. Yeah, she's Violet in the movie and she's Violet, Violet in real life. Yeah, Violet McGraw. The sweetest mm-hmm. little girl. Oh my she gosh. She is. We've brought it up a few times, but yeah. it's always a fun little humble brag, you know, thing to come up to. Yeah. It's like, me and Rima got to hang out with her and Henry Thomas, who's also in this movie, and uh, uh-huh. and then Julian Hilliard, who played Luke, the young Luke Crane in Hill House. You know, we got to spend we- a little bit of time with them over a weekend in Chicago for a convention, and mainly the kids, you know, we spent a lot of time with just because it was their first convention and then we were doing a panel with them and just to help make them comfortable. Mm-hmm. And like they warmed up to us really quickly and we ended up just like having a really fun time over that weekend, like drawing or like what, you know, talking to them and their parents and playing little games with them. And it was a, it was a lot of fun and Violet was so sweet. So it's almost harder to go back and watch this movie and be like, no, not Violet. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know it, it's, <laughs> That was like the best weekend too. I mean, and their parents were amazing and very nice um, to let us, you know, because we, I, I know that we talked with them like the night before too, just to kind of also, because I think they were in the same restaurant that we were at and we thought, you know, could we at least go ahead and introduce ourselves in case, because you don't know what the day is going to look like, right? When you're at the, at the convention. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, if, if they're busy or you don't have that opportunity to kind of introduce yourselves, I'm going to take my moment if I can. And so, you know, we, we totally interrupted them when they, when they came in um, while they were waiting for their dinner and just, you know, introduced ourselves really quickly and, asked if we could introduce ourselves to the kids just so they're familiar with us and just take a couple of moments. And they were just the sweetest, most welcoming, warm kids. Um, and, and yeah, so, and then we got to play with them a lot at the convention. Um, when they weren't busy, we, we were playing, like they had, they had a toy that her and Jillian kept throwing back and forth to each other. I don't remember yeah. what it was. It, it was like a little, um, like a rabbit or something. Yeah, just a little something they kept tossing. And then Violet was drawing up at her table and stuff. And we were talking about what she was drawing. So we really got to know those kids in mm-hmm. a day very well. And they were just so sweet. So, so yeah, it was very difficult, you know, on the screen. I'm like, oh, my God, no, not Violet. She, <laughs> she's the sweetest girl. And so we start right off in this horrible moment, this tr- just – traumatic thing that happens to this little girl and we don't even fully understand what happens at this point because we don't know who who um these this group of people are i mean they're bad people and clearly they don't have bad intentions but i i wasn't even quite sure what they were doing to her at first they kind of pan out uh so i didn't fully understand that you know what they were what they were doing when they were like um stealing her steam but to but to understand how they do that having to like torture and cause pain because it makes the steam taste sweeter. I mean, mm-hmm. to know that that's what was happening to her just makes it all the more horrific. But yeah, so it was, <laughs> yeah. It's rough. We'll get to the scene later. I'm yeah. sure that they really dive into that, but they, they that's, do. We, that's we, the we, hardest to watch in this whole film and we'll, we'll get there, but yeah. But yeah. Like you mentioned where he said, you know, little tease to that when you say, you know, you're going to hurt me. And it's like, yes, because pain and fear is what makes it more pure. And more, and so, man, that is just a horrifying thought. <laughs> it was absolutely horrifying. Um, so yeah, that was, but it was, it was cool to see uh, Violet again, because yes. we know her as, as young now and how, how just super sweet she was in Hill House playing that character. And um, then to see something terrible happen to her. But, you know, 
and, and, and like you said, Henry Thomas was also in this movie and he was in Hill House. He was also in Bly Manor. Mm-hmm. Mike Flanagan likes to use some of the same actors. So it was fun to see her again, um, even for just, you know, a few moments and such, you know, to um, kind of see some of our, our favorite like actors kind of yeah. playing in some different roles. Um, so, yeah, I that was that was just something I wanted to kind of mention just offhand since I was right at the at the beginning. Um, mm hmm. So yeah, pretty creepy. I didn't could tell right away I didn't like this group, but I was certainly um, charmed by Rose the Hat. Yes, Rebecca Ferguson. You know, I thought really did an amazing job. Oh yeah, there's something as you watch the character of Rose throughout the movie. Like yeah, in that first opening scene, there is something. I mean, that's how she got Violet comfortable enough to like get a hold of her is because she is very like welcoming and charming. Mm-hmm. And there's something about her that is just like, you know, you know, very drawing to, you know, you're, you're curious about, you know, she's a little quirky and she's a little weird, but like there's something about her that's very special. And so, you know, that's, you know, used to advantage. A lot of them kind of have their certain powers and tricks that they can use to their advantage and that's hers. But then mm-hmm. as you see her move throughout the movie, it gets, more and more sinister and it definitely takes a turn for creepy by the end. You're just like, you know, a look from her and you're like goosebumps. Like, uh, uh-uh, Nope. <laughs> yeah. She, I was certainly intrigued by her. I thought she was just absolutely beautiful. And I thought she, and, and I'll just, I'll, I'll say, I, I should have mentioned it when we were talking about the movie itself and just kind of introducing it. Um, I haven't read the book, Dr. Sleep. So this mm-hmm. is definitely, and I'm, so embarrassed to have to say that out loud. Um, I'm I'm pretty behind on many of Stephen King's later works. I feel like I ha- just haven't sat and read a book <laughs> so, <laughs> so long. And and I know people are well, just get an audiobook. I can't do audiobooks, guys. I can't either. I'm the same I, way. I want a physical copy of a book. I, I love. Well, I did break down several years ago. I got it. Well, I think it was gifted towards to me. I didn't buy it myself. It was a mm-hmm. gift. Um, I did get a Kindle yeah. because um, I, I love books and I love buying books, but my book collection was outgrowing the space that I have. Yeah, that's uh, the problem so, I have right now. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh. Um, so maybe I should maybe look at getting a Kindle and then that way I can have, I can still have those books, but look, they're all condensed in this nice little digital thing and I can take it with me on the beach and it's just easier to move around. And, yeah. um, so, uh, but even having that, uh, I, I just haven't gotten to a book in a while and I'm just not, I can't do audiobooks. I seriously, my ADD just, I can't, I, my short, I just have an extremely short attention span. I've tried, I promise you I've tried and I can't do it. <laughs> so anyway, just needless to say, I'm really embarrassed to say I haven't read the book and, um, and I would love to, I, I, I need to get caught up. So anyway, um, so any, anything that we reference, or at least from my point of view is strictly for the movie and not yeah. the book. So there might be some listeners who might have some perspective about the book and that's great. I love to hear them. I don't think it's really sp- I won't consider it spoilery um, mm-hmm. if, if we have something that happened in the book or something. So anyway, with that being said, um, so I can't really compare. My, my point was, is that, um, you know, I haven't read the book, so I don't, I, I didn't have any familiarity with, with Rose the Hat or her character until this movie. 
Um, it wasn't like I'd read the book and kind of have, you know, when you read the book and, you know, there's these fascinating characters that really stick with you or make an impact on you. And you kind of have this image in your head, right, of, of who they are and who they look like and how they move and, you know, how they speak and how they hold themselves and things like that. I didn't have anything like that in mind for her. But I thought just as I got to see her, through, you know, throughout the movie, I thought, man, I was like, I bet she's playing the spot on. However, however, <laughs> she was in the book. I bet that she's she's doing exactly right because um, she certainly was captivating to watch, and yeah. she she certainly has this like charm, but she's so evil and deadly. Yeah, at the same time, and that's what makes her kind of fascinating to me. And I I, I don't know if the book goes into it, and it may not be that important, but clearly she's been around for a little while. I would love to know her history a little bit. Like, where did she come from? How long was she, has she been a, a, around, you know? Yeah. Um, the things that she's seen. Um, so. Yeah, because we get like, and it, even it seems like in the long sense of things, this still hasn't even been like that, you know, long ago for them as they make, you know, she makes just an offhanded comment because, uh, one of them, I believe it's probably Crow, uh, mentions to her, you know, that, you know, Grandpa Flick's not looking so good. And he's like, he hasn't been looking so good since the Nixon administration. So, <laughs> yeah. and she just offhandedly throws that as like, that was like a couple weeks ago. You know, like, yeah, it's been a little while that he's been acting like that. Yeah. Like, that's what time means to them at this mm-hmm. point because they've been around for so long. So, yeah, I'd be really interested to know how long she's been around and, you know, um, like where she originally came from. Um, and it, it may not be important, but I was certainly intrigued, Yeah, you know, to just kind of, you know, wow, what, it, what it, where has she been in the world? Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed her character. And then I thought, you know, also um, Crow Daddy was, was pretty interesting as well. Getting yeah. To kind of know him a little bit. So sure. what, what other thoughts did you have? Any other thoughts about that? Or did you have a different t- um topic that you wanted to move on to for the movie um i mean we could talk i mean anything i've got stuff for everything but uh, <laughs> yeah the way i kind of like listed out my stuff because i wasn't sure initially if we were doing like a top five or a mm-hmm. you know discussion and so i kind of did something that kind of works for both because i thought this movie is really unique and i ended up watching i don't know if there's a difference necessarily because again i don't remember 100 because when i watched the theatrical version when it came out because mm-hmm. I watched like the extended, like cut the three hour one for this. Yeah, yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I did too. Or, yeah, I watched it too. So yeah. And it's, I'm trying to remember if it was done initially for the, I, I think it was, but I'm not 100% sure. But it's broken up into chapters that they show these different chapters. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of have, you know, different notes on those. And so while we're talking about, you know, I'll, I'll jump around on the chapters a little bit. Okay. Because since we're talking about Rose and and Crow Daddy and all of this, so I can kind of go into like that chapter two they called like Empty Devils, which I took that to be this group that we get to to meet here, which is the true not. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Empty Devils, it seems like his, you know, they're not human anymore, really. And so there's kind of this emptiness that they need to constantly feed to keep them going. Right. And it's very, very creepy. <laughs> it's, it is very creepy. This, this group of, of people, I don't, we don't fully understand what they are. Yeah. Like you said, they're not fully human anymore, but they, Hey, they still eat. She was grocery shopping. 
Yeah. They and, and grandpa was cooking over the grill, so they they still have to like physically eat mm-hmm. uh, and nourish their human forms. Uh, they don't just you know feed off of the steam, and then that's what's that's what keeps them going. That's just what seems to keep them alive longer. Yeah, uh, keeps them it, living it, longer. Is right. It's like what she told rattle. What was it, rattlesnake Andy when she's like, you know, uh, eat well, live long. Yeah. And the way they do that is they consume, like you said, the steam or, you know, the shine, as it's also called, mm-hmm. from from people who have that ability or it to one degree or another, mainly kids. And she mentions that when she's talking to Dan, kind of at their final face off at the end where she's like, you know, I see the grease and stuff on you. She's like, when you age and you're older, then then your your steam, your shine gets, you know, dirtier and messier and it's not as pure and it's not as but then as powerful as Danny was that it ends up still being perfectly great for her but mm-hmm. but for the most part like you know they've made this point of like they they target children who have the shine to take their steam from them because it's pure and it's innocent and it's like at its most like like peak uh potency I guess <laughs> yeah yeah they're they're very much like vampires. Mm-hmm. They remind me of like vampires is what they were like when you know, and and that's kind of the image that I have in, in the beginning when they had Violet there in the woods, and she, you know they kind of like surround her, and you almost really can't even see her anymore. You just see the group of them surround her, yeah. and it reminded me of a scene from like Interview with the Vampire mm-hmm. when they're at the theater and that girl is on the ground um, as a sacrifice, and she doesn't know she's a sacrifice, and she's getting really freaked out. But that's what she ends up being. She's laying on the on the ground in the in the theater in front of this whole crowd. And all of a sudden, all the vampires just swarm her in one solid movement, and then you can't even see her anymore. And it's what it, uh, that that scene reminded me of. I was like, "Oh, they're like vampires!" Yeah. And when they're like inhaling or sucking in the steam, they're they're very. It's it's kind of intense. It's a little. Yeah. Uh, almost erotic it's it's very you know it must have really get their endorphins (laughs) yeah i mean they are really euphoric and yeah it's you know and 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 take it's like when vampires are drinking blood and they're like oh you know this this tastes awesome and that this is like you know they're they're just very euphoric over it so it's it's Mm -hmm. very that's what they reminded me of that's just um they're they're taking a different um kind of entity or something to keep them alive. Yeah. I, I wrote it down in my notes as very animalistic, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, jumping to when grandpa flick fi- finally like cycles out and he dies. Yeah. Where, you know, they're there with him and they're mourning him. But the second that he's gone and all that steam is released, this like switch flips and they're all like these cannibalistic animals who just pounce <sighs> on him, yeah. and suck up that steam as fast as they can. Don't waste it, man. That's mm-hmm. what- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was. I know that was. I was like, oh wow, they're just okay. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're kind of cannibalistic, but I guess they'll they'll take any opportunity. That's that's what really kind of makes this group pretty scary. Yeah. You know, is is how how far they'll go to to stay alive. Yeah, their whole process of living is is being able to use the shine that they have to, and then that makes me wonder is like, is anybody who has the shining or like steam capable of doing this and being one of them? And it's just, 
they're the ones that have chosen to, you know, live this way and be this way. I don't know how that, you know, affects different people. That's, yeah. I mean, it sounds like they would like the opportunity to, because we see them recruit Rattlesnake Andy. Mm-hmm. She has some form of the shine. She's a pusher. They call yeah. her a pusher. And they, I mean, she's still young. They could have probably, you know, she was supposed to be 15 is what yeah. they said in, in the movie. And I mean, she's older than like the kids and stuff that you see here that they, uh, you know, victimize and take advantage of, but she's still young and they decide to recruit her for her abilities because she's certainly beneficial for them. So they're able to turn her. So I think that, you know, they, they are good with expanding. They're, they're probably more likely to turn an adult because, you know, if, like she said, their shine is not, is as sweet or it's not as strong. It's not as potent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think they'd probably look to more turn adults. Um, yeah. Somebody who has an ability with their shining. Something that would going benefit to, them. Yeah. That's yeah. going to benefit the group. And so that's what they say with, with Andy being like, you know, well, she's a pusher and we need that. And then they use that to get Bradley later on to, ha- you know, mm-hmm. coerce him into the van. That's, they needed her for something like that. Yeah. Because otherwise, stranger danger, man, you don't yeah, get that. Yeah, because he wasn't having it. He was just like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until she persuaded him, um, which, yeah, we'll, we'll get into. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anything yeah. else about? I was just thinking, so once we were talking about Andy, I think it was a really cool exchange. That we were talking about, again, like, you know, that level of humanity or whatever, like whether they're human or not anymore. And Mm-hmm. there's a, an exchange between her and Rose. I thought was really cool is after they've kind of performed whatever like ritual to her and turned her and she's joined them and she wakes up a couple days later and she was like, you said it wasn't going to hurt. And he's like, well, it doesn't anymore. Does it? She goes, I felt like I was dying. And then Rose just very matter of fact that like, you did. Am I still human? Does it matter? <laughs> you know, there's this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> So, I mean, they don't even know. And I assume they really aren't because then when we see them die later in the movie, they just fizzle away into steam and that's it. There's no body left behind. Yeah. Just a pile of clothes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Creepy. (laughs) Creepy. Yeah. It didn't look like a fun process, whatever that initiation is. And, and it, again, that was kind of like reminded me of like the van, a vampire transformation. And I guess depending on the movies that you watch, um, but you know, that, that kind of, again, reminds me of, you know, your human death, you know, and then you're reborn, you know, as a vampire. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of similar to that, um, of what it reminded me of. So. I, I like Stephen King's. I don't know if that's where he was purposely going, but that's kind of what I was reminded of, at least watching this. I don't know if the books um, kind of go into that more or how that was referenced, but or if it was referenced since I didn't read it. But yeah, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> cool, cool. So yeah, and then we we get to meet uh, young Abra. Or Abra, I guess. Abra. Abra. Abra, Abra, Cadabra. Um, (laughs) Sweet, precocious little girl who very much like Danny when he was young and that age. 
she she seems to be very powerful. Yeah. Um, I would almost debate that she's more powerful than Danny. Yeah, I think she's the most powerful. Yeah, that we've seen, or even that like Rose and the True Knot had seen. I think they took you know when they said, "Oh, she's a looker." She watched us, what we were doing, and she's looking in on us, and she can see like that's a pretty powerful like ability on its own. But I think they still underestimated her, and it wasn't until like Rose went to like visit her, you know, in the shining kind of thing, and like check it out for herself, she realized what she was up against, and I think it actually scared her pretty much from the beginning. Was like, mm-hmm. oh no, like she is the most powerful being we've seen in. If not ever, then like definitely in a very long time. Right. Yeah. And 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 maybe it's partly because Danny's grown up and he's an adult. Maybe it's because he hasn't mm-hmm. used his shine. Like he was trying to hide it for so yeah, many years. Yeah, he spent pretty much his entire childhood trying to hide it away and not use it because of how it affected his mother's, you know, reaction to him. Yeah. So yeah, but she she certainly didn't mind showing it off. She had those spoons <laughs> levitating on the, or I, I guess you would call it levitating. I'm not sure they were just kind of hanging, you know, uh, by by the ceiling there. And and oh, her poor parents, you know, <laughs> I, I can't imagine, you know, how you know how would you even react to that? Um, so so yeah, she's you know an interesting, very smart and capable. Uh, young woman we you know yes. we, we meet her again after she's you know 13 we see her when she's you know really little in her cute little princess dress and <laughs> at her birthday party and then we meet her again and she's a little bit older um so i i enjoyed her as a character i thought she was really sweet i liked the actress that played her yeah uh, i thought she was she did she a was great good job yeah and i did i just i, I love the character of abra because she is just badass honestly like yeah and she <laughs> I don't think I don't remember seeing her get scared like almost at all. Yeah. She was very like in her in her element. Mm-hmm. Very brave, strong-willed where like you'd see like you know something would bother her, she'd be scared. I mean, yeah, she was terrified watching what they were doing to Bradley. But yes. but if like she switches it pretty quickly from instead of being scared of these people, she's like I have an opportunity now to track them, find out who they are and fix this problem so they don't continue to do this to more people. Yeah. I, I like that. She was like, I have to do something to stop these people. You know, they're, they're going to keep doing things like this. And clearly what she saw was extremely traumatic. And, you know, I mean, I guess we can go ahead and kind of talk a little bit about, about that since we're, we're kind of already there, but you know, Danny's moved to a new town. He's gotten sobered up. He's been mm-hmm. drunk and lived a life. And before I jump too far ahead though, I want to talk a little bit about Danny's journey that he's, he's not doing so great when, no. when we first meet him, <laughs> he's a bit of a mess and he, I, I'm, I'm struggling with the fact of he, he has this woman with him in the bar and then he wakes up to her the next day and she has thrown up in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both pretty worse for wear and he's, you know, realized that she's taken his money. So he takes, he goes to like take her money, which he thinks is his money. Um, you know, that she's taken from him out of her wallet and discovers this little toddler mm-hmm. uh, that lives there with her. And he gives him like a little, 
bag of treats or snacks or something and puts her in, or puts him in bed with his mother thinking that, you know, he'll just hang out here. And when his mom wakes up, all will be good. And then find out later. I don't think that's the case. No. I, I and I'm, and I'm struggling cause I don't know if that is a manifestation of, cause we know that the ghosts are still kind of coming or, you know, the, the, the ghosts that are at, the overlook are still kind of after him and they're still kind of manifesting and he's still dreaming about them. And I'm like, is this more torment from them for him? Or is that really happening? Like, did that really happen? Was that really her? And did, did both of them die and they're, they haven't been found yet. I mean, that was, that was one of the, (laughs) that was hard. (laughs) I think they, they, they leave it vague on purpose a little bit. Because it, it kind of lets you draw your own conclusion on that of like, is this the truth? This is what happened. Is he literally just left this woman dead in her bed and her son to die next to her, starve to death and just take their money and leave? Or is it one of those things that like he's thinking to himself, like that could have been what happened and now that's going to torment him. And I think if they would have just, because some people could be on the fence about that. So I think if they would have just like specifically and very blatantly said like, nope, that actually did happen and here's proof, blah, blah, blah. It paints Danny Torrance in a very, you know, in a not, not pretty very, light. Like, very unsavory. Yeah. I, I, yeah, because even, even just leaving it as it was before that scene even happened, I was like, oh, man, that's kind of a dick move. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, did at least – because I'm like, dude, make sure she's breathing, you know, yeah. like before you just walk out, like stick your – finger under her nose can you can you feel her breath you know do you check for her pulse and you know at least make sure that she's still breathing uh before you just you know uh kind of run out the door and and leave her kid maybe he did and we just didn't see that i don't know but i was like dude that's that's a bit of a dick move there but clearly i mean you know when you're an alcoholic you're just not in your right space um you know you're just not you're just not in a good place not not that it excuses his behavior but yeah you know, that would be why maybe he kind of felt like that's what he needed to do in the moment. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. a drunk, not in a good place. <laughs> um, he hops on a bus and ends up in a new town and gets himself cleaned up. And he meets uh, uh, Cliff Curtis, <laughs> Billy, in, Billy in the movie. But I, I know him probably more from Fear. Yeah. Um, Fear of the Walking Dead when he was was on there for a couple seasons. And uh, um and it's funny because I saw <laughs> watched him in Doctor Sleep, and then I was watching. Um, I just had the TV on as I was like doing notes and and just kind of doing some things. I, I hate the quiet, so I just always have the TV on. And I turned it on something, and now I don't even remember what it was. But right after that, the Meg came on, and he's in that. <laughs> <Dude>. And so, <laughs> so I was watching him in that. I was watching him in Doctor Sleep, <laughs> and I think I saw him in something else. I'm like, oh my god, what's in just like a couple of days time? I'm like, oh, this dude's everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but I I I really enjoyed his character Billy. Yes. Um it's I love the friendship, you know, and how he reached out to help Danny um and help get him straightened up. You know, it's like he didn't know him from from you know, you know anyone and he gives him a place to stay and helps him out, pays his first two weeks of rent and you know, kind of gets him a job, gets him to AA. And so I really like that. So we, when we jump ahead and we see Abra older, you know, she, she's 
kind of picked up on it's like this like sonar thing that they have or something you know when when you when you have mm-hmm. the shine it's like you can kind of reach people and feel people's presence or like they're pinging each other or something and so she's communicating you know with Danny so that's how they kind of first meet each other um but when when she witnesses what happens to to Bradley the baseball boy as mm-hmm. as they call him you know that was so hard to watch and you just you couldn't help but just kind of you know I don't know I had to keep sometimes looking away um because it was really hard to watch and uncomfortable to to look at for sure yeah knowing what they were you know you see I mean it looked like something out of a you know just I guess well I mean it's a scary movie but you know to see this kid walking down the road cornfield for miles and of course nothing good happens in a damn cornfield um and this van coming up behind him and I'm like this is like textbook you know what happened to kids in the 80s man you know kids being kidnapped and and you know um, put in a van and never to be seen from again and He's a, he's a pretty pretty smart kid, and he's trying to, you know, nope, oh, I got it. It's just a short walk. I'm all good until um, Andy steps out and, and pushes him, and they take him. Yeah. And, you know, this was – there were some hard scenes to watch in here for sure, especially because we're dealing with kids, and his was definitely – the worst uh, for me. This is probably one of the hardest things I've had to watch. Um, you know, when, when we're talking kids and some people might think, why was this necessary? Why do you have to show something like this? Why does this have to happen? But, and it's harsh, Bradley's death, you know, at the hands of Rose and the true night, it's, it's extremely harsh and there's no getting around that. I mean, Mm -hmm. what they're doing to him, stabbing him, over and over again while they're trying to purposely inflict pain on him and, and, you know, give him as much pain and fear as possible because that's what improves the quality of the steam. Mm-hmm. And what, and then he's played by Jacob Tremblay. And yes. I don't know if, if everyone knows who Jacob Tremblay is. He's a fine young actor. I am. I'll go out and I'll like, I, I, when I talk about <laughs> Jacob Tremblay, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm probably, yeah. I'm terrible with names. He's, yeah, he's Canadian. Ahead. It's uh, Tremblay. Oh, it's French. It's okay. French. But uh, <laughs> no, and the reason I know that is do, I, I followed his career a little bit and not, you know, mm-hmm. just because like, not just say like, he's probably like one of my favorite young actors, but just maybe like just one of my favorite actors, even at yeah, a young age. He's talented. He has done some incredible work. Uh, I first saw him when he was really little in the movie Room, which oh my with Brie Larson, which just crushed me. You talk about a hard movie to watch. Yeah, that one's rough. But yeah. but he was like, I mean, he plays like a six-year-old or something in that movie. So, I mean, he mm-hmm. was probably close to that. So, he was little. He's been doing this for a long time. Yes, he has. And I said, I've, I've followed his career, not necessarily just like purposely, not like creepy way, no, but like. <laughs> we understand. But, like, <laughs> but, you know, but like I've just seen him in a lot of stuff because he he gets a lot of work and with good reason. And yes, he's, he's been a busy, in, busy guy. Like every genre, I've seen him in horror movies. I've seen him in like comedy movies, uh, drama films, uh, like family movies, animation. Like he's in voice acting. And I don't know exactly how old he is, but he can't be older than like 12 or 13 at this point. And to already have like such a filmography under him, that's Mm -hmm. all very like high, you know, praise stuff. It's, 
I mean, because people who might not know, you know, I mentioned Room. Uh, he some of his other big stuff. Let's see, he did a, what was Good Boys also came out last year, which was like a Seth Rogen like super bad style like raunchy comedy with him and oh, some yeah, other kid. Yeah, I remember. And then he was in Wonder. He was like the main character of Wonder, which I know like a bunch of kids because I, I do some work in like elementary schools and like that was like required reading for like the fifth graders that I worked with because it's a lot of just a very touching story of, you know, a kid with a disability who, you know, you learn to accept people for their differences and love them for that. And so that was really mm-hmm. cool. And I've seen him play like an evil little psychopath on an episode of uh, twilight zone, the new Jordan Peele reboot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's cool. So that even makes it harder. Cause it's like, Oh, Jacob Trump. Like, Oh no, Jacob Trump. No, <laughs> yeah, don't do this. <laughs> Well, exactly. It's like what we were talking about, Violet, you know, how how we feel like we kind of know her a little bit and got to really know her and and to see what happens to her on screen. You take it so personally. And and, yeah, yeah, with with him, too, because we we see him in so many things and he's such a talented actor and he really, really um, played this well. And I always wonder, what do they get? What how do they? structure this when they are setting up the scene like how much does jacob know yeah how much does he understand what is happening to his character because you i feel like you have to have this fine line when you have child actors you don't want to traumatize these actors for real you know i mean what he's going through in this scene is absolutely horrific and traumatizing he gets kidnapped and then you know um held down and uh, tortured and stabbed until he dies. And, and so I'm always curious, you know, I know that they take steps, you know, to talk to kids and, you know, because they're kids, but they're actors. And so if they, if they've had, if they have acting experience, they can usually separate you hope anyway. But I mean, it's, it's a struggle for adult actors. I mean, you hear adult actors when they, you know, are filming something that's, you know, very traumatic or, mm-hmm. you know, something very emotional or, you know, any, any type of really intense scenes. And they're like, yeah, that was hard. And that stuck with me. And I had a really hard time with that. I was crying after, you know, and, and you're like, oh my gosh. So if, a, if, if adults, you know, are going through this, you know, and have these experiences, what are they doing for these kids? Cause you don't want to yeah. screw up these kids and, and have them to, to have this stick with them. And um, so anyway, it just makes me curious. I'm like, what are the, how much do the kids know and how much do they understand? You know, I know that they're able to film things in a certain way. So that way, you know, we see that, but maybe it wasn't filmed that way. They're able to cut it together. They're able to film certain things and then put them together. You know, I, I know yeah. about editing and stuff, so I know that <laughs> that exists, but I'm like, I hope that these children came out unscathed and, and right. they were okay. And they, I mean, they're kids, hopefully they bounce back really well. But anyway, that was a total rant. Cause that's what I, you know, as I'm thinking later, like, Oh my God, hope you don't traumatize these poor children. Oh, I uh, know. What, they were be, you know, what was happening to them. So he, he, he certainly, I mean, it was hard enough to watch what was being done to him, but I think what almost made it worse is his pleas for life and his shouts of anguish are, mm-hmm. are heard throughout this entire time. And they're echoing throughout and, 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 you know, Abra hears them and she's screaming and she's yelling for them to stop. And it's, it was so sad. And it, again, like, you, you know, we've watched Jacob, you know, kind of grow up on screen and it's harder to watch, you know, kind of maybe because it's him and yeah. we all feel like we know him, but it's, I think it's hard to watch because it has to be, and it needs to be. And 
the reason is, is that we have to accomplish a couple of things with, with this scene. It gives um, Abra and Danny a reason to take the fight to Rose. Yeah. Um, because now they've seen how dangerous she is to anyone and especially children that have the shine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, so, yeah, to, for us, the audience, it definitely, yeah, it pinpoints like, no, this is how evil these people are. And that way you're going to root for Danny and Abra throughout this mm-hmm. whole thing because you've seen, and even within the movie, she has to do that when Abra, you know, when, when Danny shows up at her house and her dad's freaking out, like, you know, who are you? Why are you here talking to my daughter? Blah, blah, blah. And the second that she shows her father, her memories of what happened to Bradley, he just like, which I, I'm with him. I would have downed a bottle of scotch immediately too. Um, yeah, no kidding. But he does like, he, he just shifts immediately. He's like, Oh yeah, no, go take that bitch out. Like he's very, like, he's on board at that point. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we, we needed, we needed it for, for that. So we can, so they can take the fight to her um, and they can see how dangerous she really is. It establishes Rose as extremely ruthless and yeah. how far she will go to stay alive and keep her family alive. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things there. And then of course, I think almost more importantly, I think, and I mean, you can argue this, um, that it might even make her and position her as a, an, a, an even bigger monster than any of the ghosts at the overlook, which, oh, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, when we get to that eventual setup there at the end between, you know, this evil versus evil kind of showdown that we have there at the end, you know, um, so I think it had to establish that. And and so this was, you know, some people might question that, like, why was this necessary? Um, I think it, I think this is why it had to happen. And I heard, I was doing some reading, uh, uh, some interviews, and I guess in the original version that Mike Flanagan shot, he, of course, so Stephen King, he, he writes the books. And this is typically what Stephen King will do when someone, um, takes one of his books and adapts it. And, and, mm-hmm. and he, he's usually like, you know what? The book is the book. That is mine. The movie is yours. You do yeah. what you want with it. And he kind of, you know, puts himself apart a little bit from it. But he also, depending on what it is, you know, will maybe want to check in, you know. And I know Mike Flanagan had, you know, talked to him and, you know, um, Stephen King had given his approvals for yes, you can do this, and yes, you can do this, and yes, you can do this, and you can do all these different things. And when the film was finished, um, he took the the final cut, took it to Maine, and Mike Flanagan and Stephen King went to uh, a movie theater and just them, those two watched it in the theater. Oh wow! And yeah, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't like bucket list. I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like I trying to imagine myself like could I sit at a movie theater with Stephen King and you know I mean maybe by that time Mike Flanagan was pretty chill because they had worked together on Gerald's game yes they had actually worked together on that and and Stephen King had some input and you know uh, he talked to him about that whole process so they had already kind of you know had a a bit of a working relationship there so maybe he wasn't as you know as um, you know nervous as maybe what I would have been but I'm just thinking (laughs) oh my god sitting in a movie theater with with Stephen King watching one of his films Jesus I couldn't handle my shit at all but anyway he's showing him the film they get to this scene uh, Bradley's death and I guess Mike Flanagan initially it was a lot worse oh man I don't know how you could get away with it being any worse than that 
I guess they they showed just a lot more showing more like yeah. I guess more stabbing. I guess he more. was stabbed more <laughs> than than what we saw. And I guess Stephen King looks at him and goes, "That's kind of harsh, huh?" <laughs> 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 I mean, if Stephen King, yeah, Stephen King, I'm all for brutally murdering children on screen, but that's a little too far. <laughs> If Stephen King says that was a little harsh, then, and I think Mike Flanagan kind of had that same reaction, like, oh, <laughs> what have oh, we done? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Stephen King is telling us we need to pull it back a little bit. And I mm-hmm. think it was, uh, he's like, you know, I just, uh, he goes, you know, you, you do what you need to do. He goes, because like, like I said, he's kind of you know, hands off when it comes to films a lot of times. He's, you know, like I said, he 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 has the book and that's his. He lets people kind of have their visions of of the adaptations when they decide to do um, you know, one of his books as a movie. Um but he's like, you know, I don't know if I can show that to my wife. You know, if if how how you know if if I can if this is something I can take her to see. So Mike Flanagan went back and uh kind of re-edited it a little bit and um we we have what what you see. Um, here so if you can imagine it being worse apparently it it was Mm. or harder to even watch so anyway so yeah that talking about that scene i think that's something that we have to kind of talk about because it clearly it was a very um pivotal but definitely very difficult scene that that was that was hard to watch yeah Um, here's an interesting tidbit about the Bradley, not necessarily that scene, but his storyline and seeing him is, did you know that when it shows him playing baseball at his game and there's the two guys in the stands who are talking about, you know, oh, check out this kid, number 19. He's so good and all this. Do you know who one of those guys was? The actor that played young Danny Torrance in The Shining. Yes, the original Danny, mm-hmm. Danny Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is really cool because this is like. It's awesome. Like pretty much the only other thing he's ever done since then. Like he's yeah, he, not an actor. He didn't do anything else really after the shining. And so he's like a teacher or something. And so the fact that they got him to come back and make this little cameo was really cool. It is really cool. But after being in something so traumatic or at least traumatic as what it was to me as the shining, <laughs> I wouldn't do anything either. Uh, <laughs> that whole red rum thing. Fuck that. Right. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I've only seen the shining once. I, I've never been able to watch it again, and I don't. Really? I couldn't really. T- I couldn't tell you why. I think it's the whole. It's those damn twins and the the and Danny with his little finger doing the red rum, red rum. Uh, <laughs> creepy oh, fucking kids. Yeah, couldn't do it. So yeah, I, I checked out and saw it once and said, okay, I've I've watched it. I'm done. But but yeah, I, I did read that that he he hadn't done anything since then. Um, so yeah, it's really cool that they got him to come back. Yeah, got some good cool, cool little Easter egg. Yeah, a little bit of Easter eggs. I know it's kind of early to do Easter eggs in the middle of. Uh, no, we. But, I don't have but, a. I don't have a section. So if you yeah, have cool. more, just feel free to bring them up in conversation. Yeah. Because yeah. talking about Danny Torrance, um, the young Danny Torrance, where they're kind of mm-hmm. because we we get like it's like a flashback, but it's like a recreation of the scene where he's riding the big wheel around the Overlook, but it's a different actor. Mm-hmm. And then we get like these like you know new scenes that show like what happened after him and his mom came back from the Overlook, and so we're getting new stuff with young Danny. And the actor who plays young Danny in this movie is Roger Dale Lloyd, which no connection to Danny Lloyd. Okay. Just the last name. Because <laughs> I had to look at those like, is he connected? No. Wouldn't that but, be weird? I know. Wouldn't that be crazy? 
Yeah, they got the son of the person who played, but it's it's not uh, different Floyd. Uh, but I have seen this kid in a couple of things recently, and he is really like caught my eye as like an incredible young actor to look for as well. Okay, because um, I've also seen some great stuff from uh, Walking Dead: World Beyond. He was on in this first oh, season. Interesting. He had a you know he was in one episode. He was the in a flashback to like a younger version of one of the characters. He played a young Elton. And just, he was the star of that episode. Like if really? you, you know, our friends Jason and Lucy over on Walking Dead cast when talking about that, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, it's an episode of World Beyond, but like that kid, didn't he steal the whole episode? And I would 100% agree with that. And so that was cool to see. And he also, maybe I shouldn't say this. I don't know that I've happened to see a movie a little early. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, we won't uh, tell. <laughs> <laughs> the movie Greenland, which releases this month but I have seen it already. I have too. He plays Gerard Butler's son in that movie. (gasps) That's why he looks so familiar. I just watched that over the weekend. (laughs) And he was incredible in that one too. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) He, he seems like a pretty talented little kid. Yeah, for sure. That's Mike Flanagan is so talented at getting these wonderful child actors. Yeah, I don't know where he finds them, but I don't either. I don't know. Maybe, maybe like people hear Mike Flanagan's making a film, so like all the best child actors are just drawn to like I want to work on that project, and he just you know has all these amazing child actors uh, you know dying to work for him because he's he's so great. Yeah, he yeah, gets great, great kid actors. And all of the stuff. And then, you know, because we just covered Bly Manor and then, you know, with Miles of Flora being so good, which oh my gosh. Bly Manor connection to this movie. And I think we mentioned it in yes. coverage of Bly Manor. But um, Alex Esso, who played Charlotte Wingrave in Bly Manor, was Wendy Torrance in those kind of flashback scenes in this movie. She sure was. Yep. I didn't recognize, I I had a little bit of like, when I saw her in Bly, I was like, I feel like I've seen her in something, but I don't know what. And then when I, when I read that, I was like, duh, yeah, she was in Dr. Sleep. Cause I'd seen Dr. Sleep before Bly Manor, of Mm -hmm. course. And I was like, okay, now that makes sense. And then watching it again uh, for this, I was like, yep, now it's, you can't miss her. Um, Yeah. Yeah. She was good and looked very much like the you know Wendy we knew from the original. I thought yeah. they did a great job casting her. They did a really good job casting some of these original characters. Yeah, she portrayed. You know, she did. You know, Shelley Duvall very well. I think. Yeah. And then I guess on the other side of that is you even have your, uh, you know, uh, wow. Why did I just blink? Um, you know, your your Jack Nicholson <laughs> in, impersonation in this film. Mm-hmm. By Henry Thomas, another haunting alum that just like, it was almost scary how much he looked and acted like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Like, yeah. man. <laughs> and I don't think that was like known. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think he did it and I, I'd have to check IMDb, but I'm almost positive he was kind of uncredited. Or He's they credited as about bartender. Okay. So That's it. Yeah. You know, they, they, when they talk about the casting, you know, they're like, oh, you and McGregor and, you know, talking about all the people in it, but there was no mention of Henry Thomas. And yeah. I didn't even know that he was in it 
when I saw it and whenever I saw the movie and then when I learned after I, cause of course I went home and just read all, all I could about it and yeah. was like, Henry Thomas was in it. I'm like, where was Henry Thomas? Cause I don't remember <laughs> him. And then seeing it, we played, I was like, shut the front door. Yeah. Like, that was pretty awesome. I mean, I think they did well to not really show his full face. I think yeah. it was best to keep it like as like a, a profile. Side view most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think if they had showed the front, it would have been, you know, maybe a little bit more of a departure and maybe taken. And I don't know because we didn't get that really, but maybe taken you out of it a little bit more. Um, but I thought as far as like that, you know, and I know it's not exactly Jack Nicholson's profile view. I mean, it's not Jack Nicholson and they didn't do yeah. like a CGI to try to put his face on an actor's body or anything like that. I don't like it when they do that. I thought that no. this was pretty great. They weren't trying to get, you know, they were trying to do a pretty accurate um, recast um, of Jack and Wendy and young Danny without, you know, kind of being too perfect. And I, yeah. I like that. I thought they did a great job. Definitely. There's a lot of, so I guess that's another one of my kind of points to go with chapter six with this was always forgotten when they, you know, the showdown and we can talk about the showdown, but I think my main notes on that are just a lot of those callbacks and references to the shining. Oh my gosh. That were just because, mm-hmm. you know, Mike Flanagan had, cause this wasn't like the same set or anything. He had the overlook rebuilt like these sets and he just like he was painstakingly recreated. He used mm-hmm. a blueprint from the original movie and like the set there and tried to make it like two AT the exact same hotel we looked at in The Shining. And I think he did an incredible job with it. I think it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And then all these like little visuals I thought were just really cool. You know, we get, you know, Dan sticking his head through the hole in the bathroom door. You know, Whoa. right where <laughs> Jack Nichols like, here's Danny this time. Um, you know, it's that was just like a real quick where he just sits there and it just you get that like it's a reference to itself is kind of self-referencing this universe, this story. But it was enough to like, ooh, you know, like kind of send a little chill down. You're smiling like that's cool. Yeah, that sent that sent a chill for sure. Yeah. And, and it was great. A, a nice little tie. Um, and they had another one as well because they did show Jack chasing Danny with the axe. Yeah. You know, it says he's, you know, kind of got a hurt leg and he's kind of, you see, um, well, and you see Danny doing it later too during mm-hmm. that showdown. He's definitely doing this, the same as his dad, <laughs> but you see, you get a quick little flash of his dad chasing him and his mother. Yeah. And, you're just like, wow, it's <laughs> so good. He's got, he had, he had such a, a awesome way of tying the two together. Yeah. Cause then we have, yeah, you mentioned Dan then chasing down Abra with the ax, mm-hmm. the like, same thing with that limp because his leg is injured. And we kind of go back all those like little things, the blood from the elevators that uh, Rose is looking at the typewriter mm-hmm. is still left right there in its place where they left it. The snowy head ma- uh, hedge maze, even though it's not, you know, not directly in the same one. It was in Danny's mind, but still you get that, the hedge maze. And then, you know, revisiting room 237, where Abra's in there, where they kind of have the little showdown between her and Danny, where she brings him back to Earth and kind of brings him to the forefront of the hotel taking him over. I thought it was, man, just, yeah, that scene in itself, that ending, that last 30 minutes of the movie was 
just incredible how much they yeah. pulled from The Shining like perfectly. It was the fan service I needed. Yeah. And I, <laughs> Even and the I, music, because the whole movie starts with it. You know, dun, 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 dun. I was like, oh, chills oh, from the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. He's, he's so great about you know, using that. And then there was sprinkled throughout a lot of the movie was like the sound of a heartbeat. Yes. In the background. And it would speed up and it would slow down, like kind of depending on what was going on in the situation. Like if things were just kind of like building or something, it would start out slow and then speed up or it would, you know, be in the middle of an intense situation and it would already like jump in and be kind of fast. And that to me is always kind of unnerving, but it was, it's very effective because that's all you kind of hear. That's the only noise that you hear is like that beat. And um, I, I love that. Mike Flanagan uses, you know, music and sound effects very well. Yeah. Man. <laughs> that was great. That was great. So yeah, I just, want to kind of talk about since we're kind of talking about some of the throwbacks a little bit and you know kind of talking about how he was bridging Dr. Sleep to The Shining um and he how he kind of recast the principal roles we got Jack and Wendy and young Danny we got the overlook again and you know in the book and I didn't read The Shining I'm again embarrassed to say that out loud <laughs> um it's a it's a long book um and it's just one I didn't get to. Um, but in the book, uh, Stephen King destroyed the Overlook. You know, it was like blown up by the boiler. Yeah. And Kubrick did not do that uh, in, no. in the movie. And, you know, I won't go into quotes or interviews or anything, but Stephen King has not hidden his feelings um, yeah. for the movie, The Shining. Um, so... He, he, you know, he wasn't happy with it. He didn't really care much for Stanley Kubrick's vision of how, you know, how he put his book um, out on, on the screen. Um, but it is what it is. And that's what we have. Um, so that's why this movie, Dr. Sleep, was almost more of a sequel to the movie than it was in an ad- adaptation of the book. Because in Dr. Sleep, the Overlook is gone. Yeah. Because he blew it up or it was gone at the end of The Shining in the book. So when Doctor, when he wrote Dr. Sleep, it wasn't there anymore. So, you know, Mike Flanagan kind of took the approach of, you know, using Dr. Sleep and its material, but kind of also making it um, a sequel to the movie. Because the Overlook still exists in the movie like it did in the sequel. Um, yeah, because it it didn't it didn't blow up, um, which is and cool though it, because then it gets you to yeah this final scene where you get to have that happen here in this movie, right? And really bring the 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 arc because again I haven't read the books myself either I mentioned that so I don't know how it's different in Doctor Sleep in the in the novel, mm-hmm. but I think as a film standalone film having that scene be able to be in this movie really brings that arc that character arc from of Danny Torrance perfectly like to point A to point B where I think it should have gone. Absolutely. And, you know, the theatrical cut didn't get a lot of love. You know, this came out, what was it? October, I believe of 2019. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I loved it and my daughter loved it. And of course it probably didn't hurt that Ewan McGregor was yeah. in it. She's, 
We are huge. Well, I I, did, I loved it anyway. It, it, I mean, Ewan McGregor was amazing, and I think this was probably one of the best things I've seen him in. Um, but you know, m- my daughter's a huge Ewan McGregor fan as well, and I don't think he'll ever do any wrong in in her eyes. But um, so she loved it as well. But you know, it just seemed to kind of fall flat at the box office, and I was really disappointed. Yeah. I thought I thought it was great, and I really it really was disheartening to kind of see and hear people not really either talk about it or it didn't get a lot of love. It got some pretty great critical acclaim, like it did mm-hmm. well with critics, but it just kind of fell flat. I don't know if it was just maybe people weren't ready for a long Stephen King movie during that time. I'm not really sure what was going on. So it didn't get a lot of love, but it had a lot of great storytelling. It was entertaining. It was visually pleasing. Like I love the scenes with, um, where they're doing like astral projections. Oh man. You know, I mean, (laughs) I love that stuff. It was trippy, um, and just fun to watch. And I thought this is what it would be like if we could do like astral projection, you know, um, cause I, I'm, I'm pretty fascinated with that, like teleportation and like astral projection are things that I'm, I'm really into. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying it like I can do it or something. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's like, I'm fascinated by, by that ability. And so I thought that was really visually pleasing to kind of see, you know, Rose go and visit, um, Abra, you know, yeah. at her home and, you know, how they can, you know, how, you can just kind of visualize that and it, it made sense to me. So I, I really loved that. And I think it was just beautiful to look at in general. A lot of the, a lot of the visuals were really great here and I always appreciate that. Um, but I, I think what was important for me is one of the key elements I feel in both the shining and Dr. Sleep. And this is kind of what I was talking about, about bridging the, the two together. And I think this is what was important because the shining was not a favorite of, of Stephen King and he didn't really love it. And I think Mike Flanagan wanted to kind of help with that a little bit mm-hmm. and kind of bring more of Stephen King's vision of what he wanted to happen. Um, and, and so he was kind of trying to bridge these two together because what in the shining Jack is mostly, I feel kind of reduced to his ending and the murder yeah. of his family. And, but in the director's cut, and you and I have both watched the director's cut. And so if, if you folks haven't seen, so we're going to talk about the director's cut. And so that might be a little spoiler if you haven't seen that version. And if you're able to see that version, I think it's worth it. It is three Definitely. hours long. It's an extra 30 <laughs> minutes, but I think it's worth it because, and, and, and this is why, at least for me, um, because the director's cut changes some things, I think, about Jack that makes him a little bit more empathetic and not a victim um, really, uh, they don't make him a victim. I, I mean, Mike Flanagan is not like, oh, well, Jack was just a victim of what happened. He, he doesn't say that, but he makes him a little bit more empathetic because you can see him more as a whole person. Yeah. Um, and the way that he goes about that throughout the film, I think is, is fascinating. You know, in the beginning of Dr. Sleep, as we mentioned, Danny struggling with alcoholism, like his father and in the director's cut, you know, the version of Dick Halloran explains what happened to Jack and that when Jack tried to kill him, it wasn't really him, but a version of him and that the hotel fed the darkness in Jack, just like it fed into Danny's light. And that Jack had a little bit of light, just like Danny had a little bit of dark. And I think that's really important because it bridges those two movies together. And it's not so much about Danny or, you know, outrunning his demons and his father, but it's more about Danny being terrified of becoming his father. Yeah. And I I think it's important to note, you know, what they're trying to say here is, you know, the Overlook didn't make Jack dark. You know, 
it was a catalyst for what he was already feeling, his resentment, his pain. You know, he was already, you know, already had a little bit of a dark darkness to him, but the overlook used that. Um, and I mean, there was a story of, you know, Danny had a broken arm in, um, I guess Jack in a, in a drunken rage had broken Danny's arm and it doesn't come up in the original cut of Dr. Sleep. Um, but it does make an impact to Dan because he talks about how he, he saw that change in his father and that how his, his, yeah. his dad didn't touch a drink after that moment until the overlook and, you know, and instead he used the shame and regret over that incident incident to feel a better life for himself, at least for a while until they got to the, to the overlook. Um, so I, I think that, you know, and then when we see Dan make that speech at the end, you know, and he says, you know, this is for Jack Torrance, you know, that he thinks that he's standing where Jack wanted to be most in the world, I think was interesting as well. And yeah. to, to kind of talk about that connection and I feel like how it makes it even stronger um, when we get that shot of the the gold room where when Jack finally gives in at the overlook completely over a glass of whiskey, you know, we kind of see that happen with Dan, you mm -hmm. know, and I, I feel like we get a little bit more from Flanagan in this movie and we kind of get to see a little bit more about Jack and, and more than just the addiction that defined him or the rage that drove his character in Kubrick's film. And, we see someone struggling with his problems, but wanted to grow beyond the things that kept him from the ones that he loved. And, you know, we, we get the standoff between Dan and his father, Jack. And, and it's just, it's interesting to see, you know, how that conversation takes place and what's happening between them. And I don't know. Do you, do you have thoughts about that? And yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's great. I love that, you know, you mentioned a little bit like when, when Danny's in AA and he's giving that speech about, you know, he's not, he is, he's kind of running from that fear of being like his dad, but it's not like he holds this just hatred of his father mm -hmm. because even whenever he's thankful for, you know, making it, you know, five months sober, you know, he says, you know, that's, this is about the point that my dad made it to before we went to the overlook and everything went to shit basically. Yeah. And so he's like, this is, you know, where I'm standing now you mentioned is, is where my dad wanted to be. And so he's like, so while you're, you know, applauding me for making it here, give it up to him too, you know? And I think, you know, he makes that connection. So then whenever we have that scene between him and, and Jack at the bar, it makes it even just that much more powerful that, you know, he's going through, so, you know, you know, here, you just take this drink because, you know, it covers up all depression and anxiety and fear and anger and take your medicine, you know, mm -hmm. and you see that that's, that's the problem. That's the struggle that Jack Torrance had is it was all just self-medicating all of this depression and trauma and stuff within himself. And so that's what sets the character of Danny apart is that even when faced with this, he denies it and he says, no, like he takes that different way because he has, he's had more to live for. He's seen, you know, through the, the friendship and sacrifice that Billy made through the relationship and friendship he's built with Abra and been able to like go through all of these things with her. He's like, I'm, I'm not like my father 
I'm, I'm helpful. I'm here for other people. And I know that there are other people who are here for me. And so I think that's, that's that powerful moment then where he decides this is where those paths, you know, differ. And I'm not like my father. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I like that he was to kind of, like, it was almost like he turned to drinking, like, cause that's how he got to know his father and got to see yeah. that side of his father was through his own drinking. And that's how he related to his father. It was this like connection. It was like, you know, why was my dad this way? Well, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, if I turn down the same, you know, live my life with a bottle upside down, you know, that maybe I'll figure it out. And it, yeah. that's my connection to him. Yeah. And I, I loved how we, we get those connections here and, you know, you get, get this happening between these two characters. And I feel like it kind of becomes a story about the way people relate to the flaws in their parents and can see that some of those same flaws in themselves. Mm-hmm. And he can see the abusive, angry version of his dad, the same as he sees it in himself. But in the end, and again, in the director's cut, he also finds a brighter version of yeah. himself. And that's how he's able to stay behind and help help Abra. Yeah, on. and I don't remember what was in what version and what wasn't because again, yeah. I've only seen it. I saw the regular theatrical release on you know opening night, and then I saw the director's cut you know earlier today. So it's mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't you know it's been you know a, a, over a year in between. I don't remember exactly, but I know kind of at that scene where he's burning down the the overlook with him there. And you know, I remember, you know, a speech that he gives about, you know, his mother couldn't even look him in the eye, not for more than a few seconds. And that was another thing that really drove him, you know, was was watching her die, knowing that she was still seeing Jack in him and she never really got over that. And so there's this beautiful moment when he's sitting there in the flames going around him in the overlook where you get it reverts to the young him. Yeah. And the younger version of his mother, like sitting there in the flames together, and she's just staring deeply into his eyes. And that was very impactful to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was super sad to to see him go. But um, what was cool is that this was the ending that Stephen King wanted for The Shining, mm-hmm. and that's what happened in the book. And that is not what Stanley Kubrick did. You know, Jack froze, you know, outside and the overlook still looms overhead. Yeah. Um, but, and that is not how Dr. Sleep ended because the overlook didn't exist in Dr. Sleep in the book. So yeah. he, you know, again, kind of changed things a little bit and, you know, made it more of a sequel to The Shining, as I've mentioned before. But what was cool was that he got the nod from Stephen King. He yeah. was like, Yeah. I like, and like this and I'm okay with it because he gave him the ending that he wanted. Yeah. And like I said, it's, it gives that perfect arc, I think to, to Danny. Cause if I can go back again to the beginning is, you know, we see that, mm-hmm. which is the way he ends up taking out Rose is, you know, the, the ghost of, of Dick Holleran has come back to him just like all the other ghosts we overlook have. But the difference is, is that he was like, you know, a mentor and is friendly to him because he also had the shine. And so he's kind of, you know, had taught him to use it. And so he also is the one that teaches him as a kid, like you can take these ghosts and you can build this box in your mind and hide them away there and they can't hurt you. And so, you know, he's doing all that. Of course he can't, he can't lock up <laughs> Dick Holleran, but uh, 
he's a memory, not a ghost, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing. But I love that, you know, he has that like mentorship that even like through he's making these t- terrible decisions and Dick Holleran's there being like, you know, you shouldn't do this. You're better than this. And he ignores him for a while. But it's also Dick Holleran coming to him that convinces him to help Abra. Because he's like, this is way over my head. This is not my thing. It's like, you know, you have an obligation because of who you are and the powers you have and the life you've lived. When you see somebody who's now struggling with these same things and you know she's in mortal danger, it's your obligation to do something about it. And so I thought that was really cool. And then you get his redemption at the end. Is like, yes, he does die in the flames at the Overlook. But then we cut to a little bit later when Abra's sitting there in her room and she's talking to him. He is kind of her dick in now. Yeah, I did like that because it was like, well, he still gets to kind of live on mm-hmm. through through Abra, and he can help guide her and still like continue to you know mentor her. Um, so yeah, I thought even though I was really sad to see you know that that's how his character how it had to end for his character, even though it, it seemed appropriate. Like that's kind of what had to happen, but still kind of sad to watch, but um, nice to see that he could still kind of live on through Abra. Yeah. And, you know, maintain their, their friendship and he can be there for her and help guide her. Cause even though she's very powerful, very smart, she's still a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, sure. She could use some guidance. So yeah, that was (laughs) nice. I like, liked that. And then we got that damn bathroom lady. Again. Oh man, <laughs> saw a lot of her. I, I could have, yeah. I could have done with a few less scenes. <laughs> Which that final scene of the of the movie is Abra seeing her and then kind of closing mm-hmm. her the door, you know, and closing into the going into the bathroom with her the same way Danny did when he locked her away. I guess that's kind of the way to say that, like, even though you know, because Danny is dead that Abra is now the one that's kind of in charge of locking away these overlooked ghosts, which seems kind of like a burden, but at the same time, like she's got enough strength to handle that. I think she's going to be fine. Yeah. Which I guess, I mean, I thought the whole idea was to kind of, you know, burn the place to the ground. And like they said, they're at the end kind of purify it, right? Yeah. Um, Purify it through fire. But it seems like that didn't quite do the job. Yeah. Maybe just the one. Cause that's, well, I I say that's the the one one that she, actually you know saw but she did see a couple others because she saw the twins and she saw the butler and so Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know but yeah it sucks that she's left to to deal with any of them you know at this point so yeah Mm -hmm. that makes me curious but yeah it i I thought it was a a a good ending Mm -hmm. for sure (laughs) heavy stuff very heavy a lot of hard things to watch but really great i thought I thought acting was great. Thought the characters were great. A lot of fun things to to see and vis- visually pleasing. Um, good story. Um, I loved it, I, and mm-hmm. I think I liked it even more the second time because I don't think I watched it since I saw it in the theaters. So yeah, oh yeah, I, I think I enjoyed it even more going into this with the full director's cut and getting a lot more. And mm-hmm. at those points watching it was just like, oh my god, I love this movie so much. Yeah, I was like, oh, I forgot about that and forgot about this person and and just forgot how captivated I was, you know, by it and and thought, yeah, I really did enjoy this when I first saw it and enjoyed it again that second time. So yeah, really great. Do you have some notes or anything else that you wanted to say? 
Yeah, I do. Um, okay. I think uh, there's like two other things that like yeah, big story things we that. haven't even like touched on. It's crazy. Okay. Like, yeah, there's like other stuff. It's like, man, how much time do we got? But uh, <laughs> we've got time. It, yeah. This is like a three or the director's cut was three hours. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about. Because one thing that we haven't even like really mentioned, I guess, is the title of the movie and where that stems from. Okay. Yeah. And that is, which I actually cried quite a bit during these scenes. I don't know. I was like, Aww. I'm just a little, I put in the notes. I was like, I'm, am I just like emotional today or something for some reason? I don't know Aww. what's going on. But, but we get, you know, while he's in AA, Dan uses kind of his shining a little bit to, to help the, the doctor that's running the AA meetings find his watch, which is just a small little thing that he doesn't think anything much of, but it ends up getting him this job as an orderly at a hospice. And so Danny gets the the title of Dr. Sleep because the patients there call him that because there's this, this, this cat that also, you know, lives there in the hospice that when somebody is, when their time has come, the cat will go in the room and go jump up and lay on their bed. And so the first time it happens is just because Danny's following the cat in there to try to shoo him off the bed. But then he ends up sitting with the old man and just comforting him in those last moments and then he kind of hones that ability to where like the, the patients and then, and then the, the people living there in the hospice kind of get to know Danny as Dr. Sleep. And they know like, oh, you know, the next person we see him sitting with says like, oh, I, I, I guess I know why you're here making this house call in the middle of the night. It's my mm-hmm. time, isn't it? But he's able to use that, that shine that he has to access memories and pleasant thoughts and stuff from these old people's lives. To be like, you know, just pick, and then he's able to like send it back to them and say, you know, oh, here, you know, think about your children and here's your wife and here's, remember when you would drive this old truck with your friend Dale or whatever, you know, and he would just give them all these yeah. great memories and yeah. you know, have the tastes and smells and sounds and just be able to kind of help them carry on and pass away gently. And it was yeah. just, and have those nice memories in their head <laughs> as they're, as they're passing. So yeah. Yeah. And there was something about those piece. scenes that just hit me deeply. Yeah. Yeah. It takes special people to, to work in a place like that. I don't think mm-hmm. I'm cut out for something like that. Um, so it takes special people to work with people in, in hospice and um, yeah, it's not yeah. for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Some really beautiful scenes. So yeah, it sounds like he's still using his abilities in a, a small way, anyway. Um, so, and I'm guessing that's, you know, he's using it in a small way that I think kind of still makes him undetectable. Because you know, Rose the Hat mentions later, she's like, "Oh, how did we miss you?" Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah, I mean, Danny's pretty damn powerful, yeah. and he was not on their radar at all, even as a child when he would still kind of maybe use it or whatever. But you know, then he kind of you know suppressed it to you know at least some some way um, to where I guess they never picked up on him at all. Mm-hmm. Apparently he still tasted good though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had that level of power to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess my other like favorite thing of the movie that we hadn't really talked about too much, but yeah, it was like kind of the chapter five or parlor tricks, which oh. was Abra's ability to kind of use because yeah, you, know, you had that kind of like projection where she would kind of show up in the back seat and talk to to Danny, even though she's not really there. She's able to like 
project herself to other people who shine and they f- can see her as if she's there. And they, they use that parlor trick as a way to lure the true knot out to that little campsite area where they're going to just like take her. And it seems like she's just going to freely go. Cause even like Andy makes this kind of comments like, Oh, after they built you up and all I have to do is just like inject you and take you away and that's it. Wow. And then, you know, it pulls a little trick where then actually it's the stuffed rabbit that's sitting there and Abra's not actually there at all. And Billy and Danny have been hiding out waiting for them with these hunting rifles. And they just start picking off the knot one after the other. Mm -hmm. And that scene was just really cool. Like on the other side of the spectrum, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. And Rose, of course, you know, because Abra has already been able to track her, they leave her behind so that Abra can't see them coming, even though they figured out a way to anyway, with the glove from, from Bradley's body. And so, you know, they get the jump on them. And I thought that was really cool. And Rose watching from afar is just screaming in horror and terror, watching her family just get picked off one by one. Mm-hmm. She almost seems to physically feel it as well. Yeah. And then it hits her, of course, the most is that when finally, you know, Crow Daddy is the last one to go because he doesn't go to that campsite with the rest of them as he shows up at Abra's house as kind of their own contingency plan in case they tried something like this. And he injects her, kills her father, which was sad. Mm-hmm. and then kidnaps her. But then that's where Danny really steps up and is kind of able to project himself into her, almost kind of a, a blind manner style possession in a way, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe that's where Mike Flanagan got the idea. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, that was but, all so good. Yeah. It has that little conversation with, with Crow Daddy, which I thought was great. You know, he's like, you know, arrogance really is your biggest problem. He's like, what is like, yeah, arrogance that, you know, Somebody who's lived as long as you can and feels like you can't die go, figures that you wouldn't have your seatbelt on and then uses some power to crash the van and, and kills Crow. <laughs> yeah, which was a risk because something could have happened yeah. to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Some really great scenes in all of that. And, and you know, as they're shooting, you know, all the members, you know, and Abra's like, you deserve it. Yeah. You deserve it. And I was like, damn girl. <laughs> she's, she's ruthless. You know? <laughs> For even when they're all Don't dead and her. she's walking down the road by herself and, you know, Rose's astral projected kind of self appears in front of her. Mm-hmm. And I love how she looks. She's trying to scare her and intimidate her. And Abra just walks right through her like, yeah, I ain't yeah. fucking scared of you, bitch. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Not at all. Not today. Yeah. Like I said, she, she was interesting because she was just completely fearless and, you know, uh, didn't seem to get scared a lot. She had a couple of moments, yeah, that she was frightened. But, you know, she she was very determined in, in her, you know, what she believed had to be done. Yeah. And and didn't let it hold her back, you know, no yeah. matter how, no matter the danger, you know, and no matter how much Danny tried to keep her, you know, back from the danger, she, she was always right there to confront yeah. it. Even letting Rose into her head on purpose mm-hmm. just so she could use that to then trap Rose there to go into her head. It's this weird, like, because yeah. once, <laughs> you know, that, you know, that was something that she didn't think about was that by going into her head, it kind of opened her up for, like you said, for Abra to then gain access to, to her thoughts. And, you know, it was, when she realized that when, when they, it's, you know, she's going through those files, looks like a file cabinet, you know, is yeah. all of these 
and memories that Abra has in her head. And as Rose was going through them and one of the, the drawer shuts and slams on her hand. Um, and she realizes that, you know, that it's a trap. Um, it, it was just interesting because when she just gross, but when she's having to like pull and rip her hand up out of that cabinet, I was like, Mike Flanagan, what is wrong with you? I know. Um, so gross. Like, Oh God, really? <laughs> call back from Gerald's game, which uh-huh. spoiler alert guys, if you haven't seen Gerald's game, I'm going to talk about it for just a moment here. But I think some of our listeners have when, when we covered Gerald's game um, earlier this year. So in Gerald's game, uh, the main character, she's handcuffed to the bed and she eventually, after hours and hours and hours and realizing that she's going to die, she's getting pretty close to like her dying moments and gets desperate and is able to break a glass, get that shard of glass and um, kind of rip, or she cuts her skin and rips her hand out of the handcuffs Um by you know how she kind of just cuts around her skin and basically like degloves. Yeah, it's ugh, just thinking about it. Just ugh. <laughs> I mean, it gets really really graphic in Gerald's game. Um, yeah, and it they don't hold back, and they they he did it again in this film, and I'm like. Mike Flanagan, Flanagan, I guess, has a thing with hands. And I read uh, <laughs> that he actually does. Oh, I guess man. he put that scene in himself. That wasn't really from the book. Um, he put that scene in himself. And he says, anytime I get a chance to mangle a hand, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so I was like, well, He did very well in this one, too. <laughs> yeah, he certainly did. So I was like, okay, Mike, that's your thing. Got so it. <laughs> if you watch any more Mike Flanagan films and he's mangling hands or something traumatic happens to someone's hand, then... You know, Mike's got a, a fetish thing or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was interesting. And uh, one of the little notes that I had about that scene. Awesome. Any other notes? Um, I mean, I'm sure I've got all kinds of little stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> trying to okay. see if I have anything else that's like really like important and cool that we haven't really covered. You can edit around this, whatever, to make it shorter. But <laughs> No, it doesn't need to be shorter. It's totally fine. <laughs> I mean, like, just me searching for something. Oh, okay, but, yeah. No worries. Do your Skim through your stuff and whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't really talk about, well, you know, I talk about the scene where they're, you know, killing the, the knot, but then the kind of the sad ending of that is we also have the loss of Billy within that scene. Oh, and it was, I mean, just RIP, realist of the yeah. real. Uh, you know, he saves Danny from Andy and kills Andy. But like kind of with her, her last breaths before she dies, she's able to push him to kill himself. And it's really tragic. Yeah, that sucked. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, that might be kind of about it. I think, again, just Abra, the actress who I did not put her name down. I should have, cause I haven't seen her in a lot of other stuff, but yeah, she, she was, was great. Good. I had just kind of the, you know, the look on her face when Danny kind of brings up the idea, you know, is I'm going to need you to, you know, but to bring up this idea to lure the knot into the, that campsite. It was just like, you know, I'm going to need you to do a trick. And just like the look on her face, <laughs> a magic trick. She's like, <laughs> I'm good at that. I can do that. <laughs> she sure can. <laughs> But yeah, just her powers in general, just a lot of 
you know, even as a really young girl, like playing the piano that was downstairs while she was like asleep upstairs in her room. Mm-hmm. Like being able to do things like that. It's great. Uh, Billy's line, or I guess talking when they're going to find Bradley's body and there's a really nice little like conversation there. He says, you know, if you're wrong about this, then it means my friend is crazy. Make believe monsters killing make believe kids kind of bonkers, but I can work with that. But if you're right, then that's when Danny kind of goes, then it's much worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was much worse. Mm-hmm. We get some, we mentioned red rum a little bit. You said just one of the things that really messed with you in the shining. We get a few of those uh, mm-hmm. with Abra sending murder to Danny to tell him about what happened to Bradley. And of course, when he first sees it, you know, we see it through the angle of the mirror. So we get red rum. Which is a fun call that. Yeah, it and was. And him looking at the, the red rum in the Overlook Hotel on that bathroom door, still there. Mm-hmm. So, so good. I think that might be about it. Awesome. Um, mm-hmm. One last thing that I did see here at the bottom of my list, um, kind of a little, this might be a little bit of a stretch as far as like an Easter egg, but something I thought, when he said it stood out to me and I made this, um, this connection, uh, while saying his goodbyes to Abra, Dan tells her to shine on because the world needs people who stand. And Uh, yeah. And I thought about it too. I did. Did you? Okay. Okay. Good. Then I'm, then it wasn't maybe too much of a a stretch (laughs) thing. So I'm like, I don't know if it is or not. Cause I mean, some of them are pretty obvious Easter eggs, like the number 19, you know, Mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of significant. And that was the number of um, Bradley's uniform. He was number 19. So there are, you know, plenty of Easter eggs that, you know, I'm not going to dig into um, here. Uh, that make references to the, because everything is always connected in Stephen King's world, right? Everything yeah. is connected and mm-hmm. it all goes to the dark tower. And there's even things yeah. here that are connected to the dark tower and, and some of his other works. So, you know, you can make those connections, but for me, this is one that stood out for me because when he says, you know, the world needs people who stand. And of course he's not wrong because the world in King's universe really does need people who stand considering that, you know, there's a massive novel that Stephen King wrote called The Stand that mm-hmm. involves a divine battle between good and evil. The Stand um, has been adapted before. It was a 1994 television miniseries. Um, it wasn't as well known. It didn't quite reach, you know, the height of some of his better known adaptations. And I just wonder if, I don't know. Or not, because the timing and everything, I don't know, but it feels like those cryptic words could possibly be referencing the new stand TV miniseries, which premieres on CBS All Access. Um, that actually <laughs> comes out on December the 17th. and um, Two weeks. Yeah, a couple weeks. <laughs> and I loved that. It stood out to me because, um, I mean, well, one, just for that reason, but then two, because we're covering the stand. Mm-hmm next here on strange indeed if you guys haven't heard that already so we're going to do a quick little discussion on the original 1994 television miniseries we're not going to take too deep of a dive into it it's not going to be a formal discussion or top five we're going to kind of talk a little bit about it and maybe some things that we 
would love to kind of maybe see or um, maybe see referenced in the new version from the original, maybe, um, you know, and just kind of talk about that a little bit. So it's going to be a light conversation. It's not going to be anything too heavy or too, too deep of a dive, but I feel like, you know, we should at least, you know, make mention of it. Um, and I think it'll do me good to kind of watch it again. Probably do all of us good to watch it. If, if you're like me, it might've been a while since you've yeah. seen it. So, um, and then, yeah, then we're going to cover um, the stand week to week. It is, it's week to week, guys. Yeah. You're stuck. This isn't my doing. <laughs> not my, yeah, not my our doing, but <laughs> blame CBS. Eek and I <laughs> have nothing to do with this. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope, I, I know that, you know, it's another streaming service mm-hmm. and I have a love hate relationship with all of these streaming services and I complain about them all the time. So I, I understand that there might be some folks that don't join us because they don't want to, if they don't have CBS all access or they don't have a way to watch the show or something like that. Um, but we would really love to have, have you join us for that. So I'm going to be covering um, that with um, Paik and I's mutual friend, Ben. And then Paik is also going to be joining us for some episodes too. So yes. Yeah. So I won't have to do the whole series, which not that I don't have to, I mean, I would enjoy either way, but it's nice to get, get a, little a little break. Bit of, you get a little yeah. bit of a break, man. I, we've been pushing you kind of hard. <laughs> anyway, that, that was my little plug, um, which I usually say for the end of the show, but I thought, well, it's kind of, to me, it felt a little Easter egg-ish, but it also yeah. kind of fits since that's kind of what we're covering next. So anyway. Fits in perfect. Again, as well, I love that, we, you know, this movie was like a perfect transition of like, we go from totally. a Mike Flanagan series to a Stephen King adapted series. Totally. What better way than like a Stephen King adapted film directed by Mike Flanagan. <laughs> bridging, bridging the two. Um, and then Mike with this little thing at the end about the stand, even more perfect. Yeah, it just fit. <laughs> it was kismet. Yeah. Um, all right. That was, that was really awesome. Um, so we did get some listener feedback. Um, there, people yeah. had some thoughts about this one as well. Yeah, I know. Gosh, you know, I, I ask for feedback and you guys give it. It's so awesome to hear from you guys. I'm just like, hey, we're going to do this. And you guys are like, okay, I'm here. We're going to watch it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's awesome. Um, the first one that we got is from Vanessa Whitley. She says, I really love this movie. I saw The Shining for the first time a while back and in an unpopular opinion, didn't think it lived up to the hype. But this movie was an amazing sequel to the events at The Overlook. I thought that they handled the question of what happened to Danny after very well. I thought the monsters and their abilities added just the right creep factor and admittedly gave me a nightmare or two. Overall, I'd say this movie was perfectly splendid. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Lindsay Schlicht says, I enjoyed this one. While not particularly scary and very long, I guess you did not watch the uh, director's cut. (laughs) (laughs) She says, it was definitely an interesting story. Not sure where all the hate has come from. It's pretty standard Stephen King to me. Slow burn, well-crafted story, some scares, and complex but likable characters, even the bad guys. I think most people expect terror and guts with Stephen King, but I find very few of his books fit into that expectation. I love how Mike Flanagan reuses actors. The mom from Bly Manor, Little Nell from Hill House, Gerald from Gerald's Game, Anyone I Missed. Really love this cast. Ewan McGregor and Rebecca Ferguson are great as usual, and the little girl Abra was fantastic. Even enjoyed seeing that Fear the Walking Dead goober Travis. <laughs> <laughs> it's been well over 20 years since I saw the first Shining, so it, was pro- so it probably would have been worthwhile to rewatch it before watching this again. 
I remember the story, of course, and I've read both books more recently, but for certain things like the hotel and new cast for young Danny, Jack, and his mom, what did you guys think? Well done compared to the original. Can't wait to hear your take on this one. Help me understand things more. Thanks. Hopefully we've cleared up a lot for you over our conversation this episode. Yeah, I hope so. You have to let us know. Um, yeah, I, I didn't mention Gerald from from Gerald's game. Yeah, um, he was used as well. And yeah, we we met, called out Henry Thomas as well. I, I think that probably threw a lot of people if if they didn't know that that that's Henry Thomas. Yeah, they did a good job. <laughs> Thanks, Lindsay. That was great. Um, we have one also from Gemma Hall. She says, I did really enjoy this movie, but the hardest part for me is the baseball boy scene. It really struck with me for months after, and I won't be able to watch that scene again. The end, however, was fantastic, and I was honestly terrified to go into the hotel. I'm so glad when the hat got it in the end. I cheered. I just hate the woman in the bathtub, though. Shudder. <laughs> yeah, I could have done with a, a, a few less scenes. Um, with her she was creepy and did you say you had another uh feedback thing i do thanks just going to that now yeah (laughs) yeah and i just realized i probably should have done that a little bit different in the order because um (laughs) now i'm gonna have both of these twice so that's gonna sound a little weird but that's okay um i'll just mention it here um Mm -hmm. and we did have a late minute addition here to the feedback. So I'm just going to go ahead. I grabbed that one last minute here. Um, so Pick isn't able to see this one. So I'm just going to read it now. Um, this one is from Tony Douglas. She says, I avoided this movie because I didn't like The Shining in 1980. I love the book and Jack Nicholson, in my opinion, made a horrible Jack Torrance. To be honest, other than the actor who played Dick H, the casting wasn't great. All the characters start out 90% weird and then it goes to 110% psycho. The book is a much slower build, which I appreciated. I felt an emotional connection to the characters on paper that the movie just didn't tap into. So in March, when quarantine started, I sat down and watched, and surprise, I thought they did an amazing job. Rose the Hat and Crow Daddy, um, incredible characters. All the performances were stellar. The ending I had a problem with, but overall, very entertained. I also read the book and highly recommend it, especially if you are a fan of the book version of The Shining. Here, the ending made more sense and was more satisfying. Looking forward to hearing what you all think. Nice. That's awesome. Now, we did get a voicemail this week, as always, from our good friend, Steve. Yay, Steve. Yay, Steve. (laughs) We are Steve. Is this movie really two and a half hours long? Hey, Pake and Rima, it's Steve. This is for Dr. Sleep, and I'm a little ways in, and I just happen to notice how long the movie is. It's 8.30 my time now. I can't guarantee how guarantee how quarantine, guarantee how, wait, I can't guarantee how uh, coherent I will be after two and a half hours of this. Who names their kid a bra? Hey, that guy was in Fear the Walking Dead. Just got to get this one quick in here while I'm watching. Uh, from Jedi Knight to Man Who Stares at Goats uh, to Crazy Doctor with Weird Powers. He's, he's not actually a doctor. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stick it out through the rest of this movie, but that scene with the, the little boy and then them talking about the girl, that's just disturbing. Dang, he has to wake it up. I'm in the, this, I, I don't know where I got this three-hour version of it, but I have a, literally, it's a three-hour version of this movie. So strange in the hat 
uh, rose in the hat to hear uh, to hear her call him Danny after just having watched Bly Manor. Um. Okay. Honestly, the most confusing movie that I will probably never watch again. No, it, it was a good movie. I'm sure people appreciated. I, I I loved. Uh, you know, there was a moment early on when I knew that Danny was going to have to to sacrifice himself, uh, just the way uh, that uh, Charlie uh, had had uh, uh, Halloran had had uh, sacrificed himself early on. Um, but uh, now I'm going to watch. Uh, Digstown with Louis Gossett Jr. and James Woods, which is a con man boxing movie, which is really, really cool for anybody who wants to check it out. All right. Talk to you later. Sounds like you needed a palate cleanser after. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if Stephen King is the right genre for for Steve to watch. I know he struggled with um he covered Gerald's game with me. Yeah. <laughs> that <And> poor man. <laughs> he he struggled a little bit with that one. He's like, that was hard to watch. There's some tough moments in here. I'm like, yeah, it's it's Stephen King. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, I'll have to we'll have to be sensitive to Steve next time we do something. I hope I hope he, hope he'll be with us for the stand. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> see how that goes. But yeah, it was a fun voicemail. You I got to ride a little roller coaster with you there. I know. <laughs> really, was- are we doing this? And it's like, I don't know about this. Oh my god, this is incredible. Ooh, that was really hard to watch. But this is cool. <laughs> I know. I love his voicemails cuz he'll he'll kind of pause and and you know, start back his feedback and record something as he's going. It's almost like live tweeting, you yeah. know, as you're watching something, it's like a live voicemail or, or, you know, voice message as, as he's watching and he's leaving his reactions. I, I love that. Thank you, Steve. And thank you everyone that left us feedback uh, this week for Dr. Sleep. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned next week, we'll be covering uh, the original miniseries, uh, the 1994 version of The Stand from Stephen King. Again, going to keep it light, um, nothing too formal, but we thought we'd watch it again and kind of talk about it, give, you know, give a quick, you know, thoughts about that. And if there's, you know, things that stuck out and things that we'd like to see in the original kind of maybe transpose into, you know, because I, I feel like they're going to maybe pay homage to the original a little bit, maybe. I, I don't know that. I haven't read anything. I'm trying not to really read too much about it, even though I know the story and it's been done. I still feel like there's going to be some surprises. There, the last episode is a special coda written from Stephen King himself that was not in the book. Ooh. And it was not in the original miniseries. He wrote the last episode. And I am excited. So kind of all these years later, going back and being like writing his own little epilogue. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's like cool. it's like an epilogue of after the book and that was not in the series. It's not in the book. So I'm stoked. That is cool. For that. So so yeah, I, I hope that every everyone sticks around um for that. So yeah, that's what we're gonna cover next week. And then we're gonna jump into um, like I said, December 17th. That's on a Thursday. Um, that the stand starts on CBS All Access. Excited for that. Well, we are excited for you to follow us to The Overlook, but until then, you can follow us on Twitter at StrangeTCast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. And you can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com, and you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts at podcastica.com. And go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed on Apple Podcasts. 
Speaking of great podcasts, you can check out Peak in his other podcast, um, which keeps you just as busy as it does over here, um, <laughs> Run For Your Lives, where you guys, um, you and Daphne cover monster movies and creature feature and disaster films. And you can find them anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcasts and at runforyourlivespodcast.com. Mm-hmm. What have you guys got in store for us this week? All right. This week, if you want to listen right now, then Love and Monsters is up, which is a new movie that came out here in 2020 and me and Daphne both really enjoyed. So highly recommend checking that one out and then listening to our coverage of that. Cool. But then if you have listened to that or want to know what's coming up next this weekend, then we are going uh, a little uh, more crazy action fun (laughs) with the, I believe, 2018 movie the rock Dwayne, the rock Johnson and Jeffrey Dean Morgan rampage. So that'll be a fun one. (laughs) I just watched that earlier or half watched it. I was kind of finishing up some (laughs) prep and I don't know, they must've been having uh, some monster fun on one of the, cause I had it on, um, gosh, I don't know, just one of the cable channels like TNT or something. I don't even know. Like I said, I just found something and I think they showed King Kong, the Meg I mentioned earlier, and then they 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 played Rampage. And I was like, nice. I'm down for this. Give me some rock and JDM. I'm, I love that movie. I think it's great fun. I know it's completely yeah. ridiculous, but I don't care. I love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's a... Uh, I'm excited see. to hear you guys talk about it. Yeah, we're doing kind of a, a Brad Payton double feature so even so i'll give you people a little hint for the even the next week coming up because we've teased it on our podcast already is brad payton directed and also starring dwayne johnson so yes we've got rampage this week and the next week kind of the end of that double feature is san andreas and it's a good one we will have ben who you will hear next week here on strange indeed guest hosting with us on san andreas that's awesome another good one Mm -hmm. who doesn't love the rock yeah because the rock says (laughs) (laughs) all right well that's our show thanks for listening everyone until next time i'm rima and i'm Paige. and vanessa whitley is strange indeed